0: Father, the last commandment that you gave us before you left this earth was that we are to love one another. And not with just any sort of love, Lord, but with your agape love. And that commandment sort of sums up all the other commandments that you've taught us and shown us. And and Lord, so uh, as we come to this text today and we look at agape love Lord, and we look at it honestly, what it is, and, and uh, just how powerful and supernatural it is, Lord. We're just reminded of the, the fact that it's impossible for us to love the way you want us to love without your Holy Spirit. Lord, we all struggle with loving others the way we should love others. So, so through this text today, Lord, remind us that that's your command, but also remind us that we can only love others uh, as you fill us with your Holy Spirit and with your power So Lord, we want to learn about your love today And we want to uh, be a light that shines in this world And Lord, our, the way we shine in this world is through your love Your love in us, flowing through us to others So to teach us these lessons today, Lord uh, We can only learn them by the power of your Holy Spirit So I ask that in Christ's precious name, amen Back in... 1967, the Beatles had a hit song called All You Need Is Love. Do you all remember that song? Well, let me, I won't sing. I'll spare you my singing, but let me read you the lyrics. He said, the Beatles said, sang like this. They said, there's nothing you can do that can't be done. Nothing you can sing that can't be sung. Nothing you can say, but you can learn. But how to play the game? It's easy. Nothing you can make that can't be made. No one you can save that can't be saved. Nothing you can do, but you can learn. How to play, how, how to be you in time, it's easy. All you need is love. All you need is love, love. Love is all you need. You remember that song? The Brit, when In that song, the Beatles were basically preaching their theology. The theology that uh, if we will just love everyone uh, and allow everyone to do their own thing and leave everybody alone, then everything in this world will be grand. I mean, humans can do anything. They can learn anything. They can save anyone from the predicament that they're in. All we need is love. Well, let me ask you, how did that work out for John Lennon and George Harrison? John Lennon, in 1980, was shot down dead like a dog in front of his Manhattan apartment. George Harrison lived a rough life and died at the ripe old age of 58. 58. Now, let, me, let me just read you an excerpt from an article about his death. Listen to this. George Harrison was cremated at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. That's quite a name for a cemetery, right? Hollywood Forever? I don't think so. And his funeral was held at the Self-Realization Fellowship. Great place to have your funeral. Then his ashes were scattered in the Ganges and the Yuma Rivers near Varnasi, India. By his close family in a private Ceremony according to the Hindu Tradition And he left almost It goes on to say he left almost a hundred Million pounds In his estate English pounds How much did he leave? All of it All of it So much for all you need is love Lenin and Harrison needed Something much more than the kind of love That they were spouting What they needed What we all need I'm not putting them down What we all need is the supernatural Love of God So in one respect they were right I mean there's no limit To human achievement There's no limit to the prosper, human, human prosperity There's no limit, limit to our peace When people truly Love one another but the love, but the love we need, the love we have to have, has to be something more than what Lennon and Harrison and this world preaches. It has to it can't be just Eros love. Eros love is love for where you're attracted to someone physically. It can't just be phileo love where you're kind to those who are kind to you. It has to be agape love. And that is supernatural love. And no one can have agape love unless they've been saved and regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. But you know, that's not the, that's not the kind of love that the Beatles espouse. That's not the kind of love that, that's promoted in this world. Uh, The kind of love that we see that people talk about in this world, on one extreme, uh, it's a love where there's no rules and there's no boundaries, and on the other extreme, it's rules and boundaries that make you love somebody. You can't be made to love somebody. It has to come. Natural That kind of love might qualify as eros love, and it might in some cases qualify as phileo love, but where you've got to be forced to love, or where there's love with no rules or boundaries, that's not the kind of love that's going to change you or change this world. The kind of love that we need is the kind of love that John talks to us about that the Bible speaks of over and over again, and that is agape love. And only God, can produce agape love. Only God. And so John talks about agape love here in chapter number four. So pick up with me in 1 John chapter number four, and let's look down at verse number seven. And listen to what he says. Beloved, let us love one another. And when he says love here, he's talking about agape love. For love, agape love, is God, it's of God. And everyone who has agape love, who loves with agape love, is born of God and knows God. So when God, when John talks about the beloved, when he speaks to the beloved, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to those of us who are truly born again. Those of us who truly know God. And, and God is love. He's agape love. And if we're born again, then God is in us. Christ in you, your hope of glory. Christ is God. Christ in you, your hope of glory means that if Christ is love, and he, he is God, so he is love, then you are love. If you have Christ in you, you have agape love in you. It, and agape love comes naturally if you've been born again. And if you don't have agape love, we're going to see in the next verse, you're, you're not truly born again. And, and so to love people with agape love is what comes natural to us. Uh, that's why John says... When we get to chapter 5 in verse number 3, he says that the commandments that Jesus gives us are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. They're not hard to do. They're not hard to do. What commandments did he give us? He gave us two commandments, basically. One is that we believe on him, that we believe on the Son of God so that we have eternal life. We believe on his death and his burial, and his resurrection. We believe on his atonement. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. we got to believe. That's one commandment that he gave us. The other commandment that he gave us was the main commandment, and what was that? That we love one another. And we don't have to strain to love one another if we're truly born again. So if you're in your marriage and you're straining to love your wife, then you might not be born again. Now, she could be a real terror. Now, don't get me wrong. And the husband can be a real terror, too. And sometimes we're difficult to live with. My wife's very fortunate. (laughs) Oh, she is back in the back. I didn't see that. I thought I'd get away with that. But all of us sometimes are difficult to live with. But when we have agape love, then it comes natural, even though it might be a difficult situation, it comes natural to love one another. And look at the next verse, verse number eight. He who does not love does not know God. Now he's talking about agape love. He's not talking about the love the Beatles were talking about. He wasn't talking about that Eros love, that Phileo love. He's talking about agape love. He who does not love, he who does not love with agape love does not know God. For God is love. It's not the human nature to love with agape love. But God is agape, and when God is in us, then naturally we're going to love with agape love. You know, there are a lot of people in all sorts of religions that say that they know God and that they're known by God, that they're in a relationship with God. But this is the test. This is the test right here. Do you have agape love? Do you have the supernatural love of God flowing through you, the divine love? If not, then you don't know God, and God doesn't know you. I'm talking about in a relationship. God knows everybody in this world, but he knows those who are born again in a special relationship. And if you don't have agape love, then you're not in that relationship. Agape love should come naturally. Now, this covers a lot of, uh, carries over to a lot of boundaries. I mean, it crosses a lot of boundaries. That's what I'm trying to communicate. I mean, it crosses racial boundaries. It crosses sexual boundaries. I mean, I can even say that about the homosexual. If you don't have a a God, I mean, I hate homosexuality. I think it is a sin. I will declare that from the pulpit. But I love the homosexual. I mean, I don't love them sexually, but I love them. I feel sorry for them. Now, that gets them mad. And tough. I don't care if they get mad. But I I still love them. I still want them to find Christ and to come out of that lifestyle. I love the drunkard. I love the drug addict. And, and And that kind of love only comes through Christ. So what is agape love? Well, he tells us in verses 9 and 10. He says, in this, the agape love of God was manifested. Verse number nine. And in other words, the meaning was made known to us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him and we live in love in agape love. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. John, they don't use words like propitiation. What are you doing here? I mean, that's we're not. We're just supposed to give out the gospel. We're not supposed to use words like propitiation and sanctification. Look, guys, they're all over the Bible. You better know the meaning of those words. Or you, you can't be saved if you don't know the meaning of the word. I mean, you can you can call it something else, but if you don't understand what propitiation is, you can't be saved. You got to understand that. Now, there's three things we learn about agape love in these two verses. Look back at verses 9 and 10. First of all, it's the love of God. Second of all, it's undeserved love. It's given to people who don't deserve it. And third of all, it's sacrificial love. That means it comes at a price. I mean, God is agape love. He is agape love. And he's he's manifested his love to us in so many ways. So many ways. You read the Genesis account, and God created the heavens and the earth, and he created the animals, and he created the plants, and he created us. And you know what he said when it was all done? It is good. He loved his creation with a agape love. He was ready to sacrifice for his creation. I mean, the plan of salvation was laid before the foundation of the world. He knew what was going to happen. Before he even created the heavens and he created the earth, he knew what was going to happen. But he did it anyway because of love. Man, I got to tell you, when I study the church fathers, when I study guys like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, I mean, Jacob. I mean, did Jacob deserve God's love? No. But when I see God pouring out his love on this scoundrel, Jacob, I think, well, maybe he can love me, too. But, but I see his love manifested in the way he loved those church fathers, the way he loved Joseph I mean, Joseph didn't think he loved him very much. He was throwing him around in, the, in pits and, and into slavery and into a prison. I mean, God's hand, actual hand didn't do that, but God was behind it. And I believe Joseph had to say at the time, man, I don't want any more of your love, God. You know, if that's love, keep it to yourself. But he, we see the love of God in, in the way he dealt with Joseph. We see the love of God in the way he dealt with David the way he dealt with all the Old Testament characters. But you know what? There is no other way, there's no way that we see the love of God greater than in the fact that he gave his only begotten son to die for my sins and for your sins. The second thing that I see about this about agape love is, as I said earlier, it's, it's not deserved. It's given to people who don't deserve it. Look back at the verse. He says in verse number 10, in this is love, not that we love God. That's a, that's agape love. It's unmerited favor. It's grace. I mean, God sent his own son into the world to die for our sins while we were yet sinners. He died for you when you hated him. Before you were saved, you were at enmity with God. That means you hated God. You, not, not many people will come out and say they hate God. But if you rebel against God and any sin is rebellion against God, then you hate God. But God died for us anyway. Man, i got to tell you, I don't know about you, but Some of you aren't as old as I am, but the first 40 years of my life, man, God had all sorts of calls to strike me down dead over and over and over and over, almost every day. He could have said, man, I've had enough of you, George, you're out of here. But he loved me, and he died for me, and he never gave up on me, and he doesn't give up on you. He doesn't give up on anybody in this world. They give up on themselves sometimes, and they give him no choice. But God loves us when we don't deserve that love. You know, God came to give to this earth to give us what we needed most. And that was his love. You know what the world, all we need is love. You know what the world needs now? It needs love. Not for Eros love. We got all of that we can stand. And not this phony phileo love where we treat people kindly to their face and we stab them behind their back. That's not what we need. What we need is agape love. And he came to give us that. That's why he came to die. And you know, that's why the Jews wanted him dead. Because they didn't want his agape love. They could care less about his agape love. They could care less that they were in bondage to sin and to the devil and God came to set them free. They could care less. They didn't want that. They wanted a Messiah that would give them prosperity. They wanted a Messiah that would free them from the bondage of Rome. And when Jesus came and told them, I came to set you free, you remember what they said? They said, we are Abraham's descendants and we have never been bond- in bondage to anyone or anything. You know, I get so frustrated with people in America today who don't under- haven't even looked at a history book. They don't even know who the second president of the United States is. I'm not going to ask you that because I don't want to embarrass you. They don't know anything about how this country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. They don't understand that. And the Jews apparently had forgotten their history. Were they ever in bondage? How about Egypt, dudes? You, you don't think that was bondage? How about the Babylonian captivity? You were in bondage? How about the Assyrian captivity? You were in bondage? When, they, when Jesus spoke those words to them, Rome they were all but slaves to the Roman Empire. But more importantly, what Jesus saw, they were slaves to the devil. They were slaves to sin, and he came to set them free. You know, the world sees Jesus the same way today. Man, we'll take him as long as we want our ticket to heaven. We We want the goodies. But we don't care about getting set free from sin. We love sin. We don't care about being set free from bondage. We love our bondage. We love the state we're in. I mean, the only way that you can come out of that is when one day it gets so bad that you see that you're totally in bondage and you see that it's destroying you and everyone around you. And then you cry out to the Lord and you want what you really need. All you need is love. What you want is his love and his love is agape love. It sets you free. You know, but it came at a price. It came at a price. Look at, look at the third thing in this text, what he says right here. It, it was undeserved, but listen to what he says. He says in, in verse number 10, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. A propitiation for our sins. Man, I hear Christians, I hear it. In evangelical circles Don't preach to us terms like Sanctification and propitiation We just want the gospel We just want to hear about Love We just want love Listen to me There is no gospel Without propitiation and sanctification There is no love Without propitiation And sanctification Because we are fallen Sinful Unloving people without Jesus Christ that's our nature so in order to love with the love of God we've got to be regenerated through sanctification what's the word sanctification mean it means to be made a saint to be made holy to be made loving you've got to be made loving in order to love. The way God wants you to love. In order to love your family, the way God wants you to love your family. In order to love your friends, the way God wants you to love your friends. In order to love your church church people, in order the way God wants you to love church people. In order to love your enemies, the way God wants you to love your enemies. You've got to be changed. And that requires sanctification. But before we can be sanctified, before we can be made saints, we have to be brought out of bondage. God hates sin. He has no fellowship with sin. And so something has to do be done with the sin issue. We have to be set free from from sin and from the devil. And that comes at a price. Don't let anyone tell you salvation is free. It's not free. It's free for you. But it wasn't free for God. There was a propitiation There was a price for your redemption. And what was that price? It was the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so when it comes to truly being saved, propitiation is everything. It's everything. And there's nothing we can add to what God has done. Nothing. Nothing look back at first John chapter 2 verse number two and it says there and he himself who's he himself Jesus Christ is the propitiation the propitiation for our sins now watch this and not for ours only but also for For who? The whole world. He died for the sins of the whole world. How many sins? All the sins. Just the past sins? No. The present sins too. The future sins. Any sin you've ever committed or will ever commit, He's already paid for it. He's died for it. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse 14. He says, by one offering, one propitiation, we have been perfected forever. And those of us who are being made saints, being sanctified, that means that we can add nothing, nothing, to the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what. You can go out and you'll be the most moral person in Lafayette next week. That doesn't add one thing to the propitiation of Jesus Christ. You can read your Bible starting this afternoon and don't stop for a year. You might get tired of that. But you can do that. Boy, you'll be a real Bible scholar at the end of that year. But that does not add one iota to your salvation, to the propitiation of Jesus Christ. You can pray. Man, you go out and you sin. You know what I do, man? Oh, Lord, God, I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Oh, Lord, you know, help me. Oh, God. I mean, God wants us to be repentant, and he wants us to come to him. But that doesn't add. He's already paid for it. That doesn't add one iota to, to my to his propitiation, to his payment that he's already made. When I go to prayer, I don't have to ask God to forgive me. He's already forgiven me. I mean, I think that's a good heart to have, to say, Lord, man, I'm sorry I did that, but God, thank you that that's been paid for. Thank you that I'm never out of fellowship with you because it's been paid for. It's all been paid for. Your church attendance does add to your propitiation. I'm sorry to say Your church attendance Does not add to the propitiation of Jesus Christ Your church service Does not add to the propitiation of Jesus Christ We're going to take communion today We're We're going to take the Lord's Supper today That does not pay for anything It's already been paid Christ has paid for it all You've been perfected forever Can you get better than perfect? No And let me warn you when we try to add to it, we put our souls in grave danger. Grave danger. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law or my good works, then Christ died in vain. In other words, he didn't have to die. But he had to die as a propitiation, as a payment for how many of my sins? For all my sins. For just my sins? No, for the sins of the world. For all the sins. And I got to tell you, man, the author of Hebrews, man, he'll scare you to death on this issue. Listen to what he says in Hebrews 10, 20, 29. He says, of how much worse punishment do you suppose he or she will be worthy of who is trampled on the blood of Jesus Christ, counting it as a common thing, insulting the spirit of grace. In other words, when you you don't accept the full payment of Jesus Christ for all your sins, past, present, and future, you insult the The Spirit of grace, and you trample a foot the blood of Jesus Christ. You think God is pleased with that? No. And in any religion or anything activity that we do, when we try to add to the work of Jesus Christ, we are insulting His grace. Man, I want you to just think about it. His love came at a price a propitiation, a price beyond our human understanding. But, I mean, try to just think about it a minute. Think about your sins. Think a minute about the sins you've committed in your life, the sins you've committed already this morning. But think of those biggies throughout your life. Don't share them with anybody, but think about them. You just think about all those sins, all those sins, and he suffered on a cross for every single one of those sins. He suffered for you, so you didn't have to suffer. Then you think about all the people in this room, and you ponder the thought that, And I know some of you, man, y'all had a bunch of big sins. Probably not bigger than mine, but you had some big ones. But just think of all the sins that everyone in this room has committed, and you combine all of those sins, and then you put them on him, and he suffers for those sins. Then you think of this city, Lafayette, and put all the sins that anybody in the city ever committed and put they, he put them on the cross and on him and he suffered for those sins. Then you take of all the sins in the nation of the United States and he suffered for all of those sins. And you look at all the people, five or six billion people in this world and he suffered for all their sins that they ever committed or ever will commit. And then you look at all the people that have lived throughout time and he suffered for all of their sins for all their sins. You just ponder the suffering that he had to suffer on that cross just for a moment. And, and man, it's past our understanding. But that's the price he paid so that we could love one another with agape love. So that we could have the supernatural love of Jesus Christ living in our soul. And all we have to do is receive that gift. Now, there's going to be a lot of people who he died for their sins that are still going to end up in hell because they never receive that payment. They never receive that redemption that sets them free. They never receive his blood. They're never sprinkled with his blood, covered in his blood and redeemed. Look at verse number 11. He says, beloved, if God so loved us with divine love, unmerited love, sacrificial love, then we ought to so love one another. That's the kind of love you and I ought to be loving people with. Supernatural love. Love that loves them when they don't deserve our love, unmerited love. Love that cost us something. You know, it's real easy to say, see somebody in trouble and say, brother, be warmed. I mean, be filled. I hope you get blessed. But when we walk away from them, James makes that clear, that is not agape love. That's faith without works, and our faith is dead. We don't have Christ in us. We don't have that kind of love in us. Now, he's not saying here, In verse number eleven, man, you got to suck it up and you got to love others. No, what he's saying is what marks out a true believer is agape love. That's we're known by our agape love. If we're born again, it's our nature to love one another with agape love. Then he says in verse number twelve, he makes a real interesting statement here, and we got to chase a rabbit here theologically for just a second because he throws one at us. Look at verse number 12, the first part. He says, no one has seen God at any time. That's quite a statement. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected, made complete in us. Now, let's chase that rabbit first of all. No one has seen God at any time. Now, that's a strange statement to me because I remember in Genesis that God walked now to walk you got to have legs and Adam had written that down Had to, uh, Moses actually wrote it down but somebody had to see it so God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden I mean God wrestled with Jacob Jacob said I've seen the face of God Moses saw God walking in the burning bush Samson's parents Remember Manoah's wife? Samson told his wife, I mean, Manoah told his wife, he said, We've seen God, and we're going we, to die because that's what they thought. No one had seen God and lived. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. But we know that God is spirit. So, how did these men and these others in the Old Testament see God? Well, John tells us in his gospel, go back. Hang on to First John. Go back to the Gospel of John. And look in chapter number 1. He makes that exact same statement in verse number 18. He says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is... In the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. I love that word declared there. It's the Greek word exegeta or something like that, but we get our English word exegesis from us, from it. And it means to bring, simply means to bring out into the open. You know what Jesus did when he came to this earth? He brought God out into the open for all of us to see. No one had seen God before Jesus came. Now the Old Testament uh, saints and prophets saw God in the form of a theophany. Where they saw him walking on this earth. A pre-incarnate Jesus Christ appearance. That's what they saw. John and the apostles saw God in, in, in Jesus Christ. The only begotten son he has declared him. And so we can go back to 1 John now and listen to what he says. He says, no one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected, made complete in us. I mean, John had seen God. John had laid in the very bosom of God. He had listened to his heartbeat. John already, I think when he wrote 1 John, it had had written the book of Revelation so he had had his vision of God on the Isle of Patmos and who did he see when he saw God? He saw the glorified Jesus Christ none other than him And but when John's writing this book late in the first century Jesus has long since ascended back to heaven and so really at that point no one could see God no one could see God but but look at what he says his love has been made been perfected in us those things go together what he's saying here is no one has seen god but god can see but people can see god in us because his love has been made complete it has been perfected in us look if we're born again who lives in us god lives in us the holy spirit lives in us christ lives in us christ in you your hope of glory and so if God is love, then God's love is manifested through us. God is manifested through us. If people want to see God, they need to look at you. No, you're not God. But they see God, who a God who saved you. People can look at me who knew me before I was saved, and they see, man, that God's working in that guy. God saved that guy. That guy's different. There's been a propitiation paid for him. He's more loving than he ever was. He was never loving before. He's nice now. He wasn't very nice before. I mean, we've been changed. And so they see that. And not only that, they see the supernatural love of God flowing to others. Because you love others in a way you've never loved others before. Once you're saved, you've been changed. You're the tr- you're trophies of love. And when the lost see us, they see, they see God. They see the love of God. So do you want to be a witness for Jesus Christ? Well, then all you need is love. That's what you need. I mean, there are evangelists who will tell you, you got to have the right programs. You got the right programs at your church, then, then man, everybody's gonna, you know you're going you're, you're to win the lost. That's not true. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having programs. The programs don't save people. God saves people. The love of God saves people. And somewhere they've got to see that love. I mean, some people say, well, you've got to have the right apologetic, man. You've got to be able to argue with them about the existence of God. You've got to be arguing with them about the proof of the resurrection and all of these types of things. Hey, that's not going to save them either. might help. might be something you can use to help along the way, but it's not going to save them. The right track is not going to save them. You know what's going to save them more than anything else? Seeing the love of God flowing through you. That's the greatest witness plan of all. When people see you loving others, when they see the love of God that's been given to you, that's changed you, when they see the supernatural love of God flowing through you, that's the best witness that you can possibly have. Where do they see that? They see that in the way you treat your spouse, the way you treat your children. You know, you treat your children as the world treats their children. I mean, this world, you know, we lavish things upon our children, but we don't discipline our children. Well, discipline is love. Does God discipline me? Yes. Why does God discipline me? Because he loves me. He doesn't want me some the wild man I used to be. He wants to change me into a, to a person who is patient and kind and loving. And that's what we want in our children if we're born again. And so when we discipline our children, we show love to our children. When we, when we educate our children in the Lord, when we, we talk about the Lord, we, cha- we, we, sh- we are showing the love of God to others. The, the way we treat our neighbors. Man, if you're nasty to your neighbor's, and I've got to tell you, I've had some wars with some of my neighbors since I've been saved. And this, this has been really hard on me. But if you're nasty to your neighbor, you certainly don't have a witness. You certainly don't have a witness. If you're nasty in your workplace to others, if you don't turn your cheek in your workplace, if you fight back for your rights and you, you strike back at people, hey, forget having a witness. You're not going to have one. Well, when you give them that undeserving love, it costs you. The price, that's not the way of the world. But it's that's what how people get saved. That's how people come. That's when people. You, if you've ever had somebody come to you and say, "Man, I want what you've got," it's not your car. It's not your your, your uh, whatever else you've got. You know what it is? It's the love of God they see in you. That's what they want. It's the supernatural, selfless. Love of God. Because Christ lives in us. Then verse number 13. He says by this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because he has given us his spirit. Not only do other people see Christ. Love in us. And they want what we have the other thing that happens when we have the supernatural love of Christ living in us we know that we're born again we know that Christ is in us and we know that we are in him because he's given us his spirit and his spirit is love and if his spirit is love then we should be loving people Look, we don't measure, and a lot of people try to measure their spirituality by what they do or don't do, what they eat, what they don't drink, uh, what they drink, what they don't drink, what they wear, what they don't wear. But the way you measure your spirituality, I can tell you right now, is through agape love, selfless love, sacrificial love. And if we're truly born again, we know it. We know it. You know why we know it? Because we love others in a way that we never loved people before we were born again. You love your spouse differently. Man, I got to tell you, I love my wife before I was saved, but the way I love her since I've been saved has totally been changed. It was all about loving her for, for my selfish reasons. Now I love her because I love her. Because I love her. And she can treat me mean like she does sometimes. <laughs> I still love her. She doesn't treat me mean. Because you know why? She's got a goppy love. What a deal, man. When you've got a goppy love and your wife has a goppy love, you've got a good deal. All the way around. The way you love your kids has changed. The way you love your neighbors has changed. And most of all the way you love your enemies has been changed. You're merciful and kind to people who don't even deserve it. Now let me ask you a question. Do you always love? Don't raise your hand yes here. Do you always love with agape love? Yes? No, we don't, do we? You know why? Because it's a choice. It's a choice. That's why John began this passage in verse number 7. Look look back at what he said. He says, he has to tell us. 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. He says, beloved, let us love one another. Jesus had to tell us. Jesus said a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Then he said two or three times after that. This is the commandment that I give you that you love one another. This is it. This is the sum of all the commandments that you love one another. Why did he have to tell us that? Why did he have to tell his disciples that? Because we don't always do that. But we are to do that. We're to make the choice. We're to make a choice. Look. You have the power within you if you're born again to love others. But you've got to make that choice. You know, the most miserable Christians I know are those Christians who do nothing but live for themselves. And they never show love to others. And you know what they're doing when they're doing that if they're truly born again? They're going against their nature. Because your nature's been changed. Your nature is now To love others and if, and if you're not loving others you're not happy You want to find joy and peace In your Christian walk but You get about loving others You get, get about serving others You make that The main thing And you're going, to find, you're going to find man that pleases my new nature And it pleases God It pleases God What do we need All we need is love love is all we need let's go to the Lord in prayer Father we just thank you for the power that's been given to us to love one another as you loved us Lord we can't do that in the flesh Lord we can only do it by your supernatural power within us Father I just ask us that ask ask you that you make us more loving in all that we do Lord, and that's, that's the route you've shown us to true joy and true happiness and true peace. Lord, that's your calling on our lives to show love to undeserving people. Lord, it cost us something. There's a price. But, Lord, you paid such a great price to bring us to a point where we truly can love. And so, Lord, it's our duty. It's our calling. It's our nature to love others. Help us to make that choice, Lord, and Give us the power and opportunity to serve you with the agape love that you've given us through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray.
1: i i the
0: In our text today, John tells us why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Let me just read to you again in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. He said, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. The Lord's body was broken and his blood was shed. Why? So that we could live. So that we could live in love. That's why he says in the last verse of that passage, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's why he died. He died to change you and change me from unloving creatures to loving people who care for one another. That's why He died. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, he says that on the same night in which Jesus was betrayed, when he had given thanks the same night when he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes.